Bava Basra, Per Gimel Mishnah Gimel 3 3. Uh, this Mishnah has a number of topics. Let's get into it one at a time. The first says that just because you've been squatting for three years doesn't make it yours. The three years of being resident and using the property without the original owner, Marakama, complaining is only a proof to your claim that you are the rightful owner. But you have to make such a claim. Without such a claim, the fact that you're there alone isn't good enough to make it yours. You're just squatting. That's what the Mishnah says here. Kol chazaka matayna, eno chazaka. Any chazaka, meaning any time a person's been there for three years without anybody complaining, still, if there's not a claim to legitimacy, meaning he says he is the rightful owner to this property for some reason, so then... In a chazaka, the fact that he's been there for three years, even three hundred years, doesn't help anything. Ketan, how's that work? For example, Amarlo shali. For example, if the Marakama says, "What are you doing in my property?" Vu Amarlo shlo Amarli Adam Davramolam. Well, no one said anything to me, so he's not claiming he has a right to be there. He's just saying he's been there, and no one's complained up to now, and it's been far like more than three years. That is in a chazaka. That doesn't cut it. And therefore, the Marakama, of course, will get it back through the Bezin because that's not a claim. On the other hand, if the Machzik, the person who's currently been there for three plus years, says, Shemachartali, he claims, Well, you sold it to me. Or, Shenasata li b'matana. Or he says, You gave it to me as a gift. Avicha machrali, or your father sold it to me. Or, Avicha nasana li b'matana, or your father gave it to me as a gift. So there you see. He is making a definitive claim to why he is entitled to fair and square to have it, even though he doesn't have the deed to prove his claim, but he's been there for three years, and therefore, Harezu Chazaka, the fact that he's there three years without the Marakama having complained, means now we will believe him that the Machsik is really the Muchsik, he's a presumptive owner, unless, and the Marakama has to bring some proof to the contrary. Now, new paragraph. The rabbi said there is a potential problem here with what we just said that an unscrupulous Marakama, if he knows that his property was sold to some fellow who died and left it to his to his boys. So now the boys, um, in many scenarios, would be unlikely to necessarily like know where the, the details of the original sale, right? A person can't necessarily know what his father did. Maybe they're young, maybe they're distracted, maybe whatever. And that being the case, he realizes, oh, he can go to the boys after three years and just, even though they've been there for three years, and say, listen, um, you know, Where's your, what are you doing on my property? And the boys can't just say, well, we've been here since our father died, and that's been three years. That's not good enough. They'll have to make a claim. How did you get this property? And they don't know. So they would be stuck. So therefore, there's a dinder abundant which says that to protect Yorshim, heirs of property, if two conditions are met, number one, that we know for a fact that the father, the one who made this bequest, who originally owned the property that these heirs are now sitting in. He lived there for at least one day. He was there for sure. Um, and number two, these guys have been here, the heirs have been here for three years without contest. So then even though they can't make a definitive claim why they're entitled to it, we will believe it that they are legitimate heirs and belong there because where's this guy been for three years? Why didn't you raise the issue? And uh, they can keep it. So that's what the Mishnah says here inside. Haba mishum yerusha taina. If one um, has received a property, and now gets it through a Yerusha, through inheritance. He doesn't need to make a definitive time, a definitive claim how he's entitled to it, because he not, might not know. And uh, he's believed as long as, again, his father did live there for at least one day, and he's been there now for three years without complaint. Okay, next part of the mission. It's like really like a new mission, a new topic here. Okay? There are going to be certain people who 
um, even if they were living there for three plus years, um, it's not unreasonable for the Marakama to say, of course I didn't, of course I didn't raise an objection to them being there, because everyone understood they were supposed to be there, that, not because it's theirs, but for some other reason. And that being the case, such people will not be able to establish a chazaka by being there three years without a complaint. So the Mishnah lists those kind of people. The first it says is ha'umanin, which I'll translate here as like contractors, right? The construction workers. So that's not how the bartender learns. I'll come back to the bartender in a moment. But the simple reading is, um, notwithstanding the bartender, we're talking about contractors here who sort of like, they've let's say they have a three-year construction project going on. So for those three years, they're building up the farm. They're also living there. And they're also, you know, eating the produce of the farm and that kind of thing or whatever it is, living in the mansion, as they build the mansion, whatever the case is. And after three years, if the Marakama will say, it's time for you to get off my property, and they say, what do you mean, this is ours? And he says, where's your deed? And they say, it's been three years, you didn't complain. He can say, well, of course I didn't complain, because you've been hired to build my house. Like, why should I complain? You're supposed to be here, but it doesn't make it yours. Okay? And similarly, Hashutafin, partners, this is specifically partners in a property which hasn't got a din chalukah, meaning the property is too small to split, so it only makes economic sense to run this property um, by one owner. And so then it might have been not be so crazy for um, the owners to take turns and say, listen, for this Shemitah cycle or these five years or these three years, you live here and you get the produce, and in three years' time, whatever it is, we'll switch and I will work it and I'll get the benefit. So since they're partners, one partner will say to the other partner, yeah, the reason I didn't complain for the past three years is because you were allowed to be here. That's plausible, given the property is small, and that's what partners might do. If the property were big, big enough that you could divide into two halves, and each partner could take a separate half, and it would make economic sense, so then we wouldn't believe that claim. The third case is Vaha Arisen, an Aris sharecropper. So we're not talking about a sharecropper who moves in and then the landlord doesn't complain for three years. That's not called a sharecropper. Sharecropper is supposed to give a share of the produce, not all the, keep all the produce themselves. So that would not be plausible. But there are scenarios where sharecroppers have been around for generations on a piece, on a, like a landowner's property, and they have like an ongoing relationship, maybe like they function effectively as like an apitropus for the land or for the children or who knows what. And therefore, it's not crazy to say, we've been here for generations, and the reason why, and the landlord will say, I didn't raise the complaint because I said they could have it for five years because I don't need it, or we have a long-time relationship, or I'll come back later, or we'll make a deal in the future, or whatever the story is. That's believable, um, if it's this long-term, multi-generational artist situation. And also vapitropin, if you're talking about a trustee or a custodian or a guardian who's there to take care of the property or the children on the property or something like that, so then it's believable that the landowner, the Marakam, would say, I didn't complain because he was supposed to be there for those years because you know, he, he belonged there as the custodian. All those people aim them chazaka. Those people, by simply being there for three years, doesn't prove um, that they're the rightful owner, uh, and that wouldn't bolster their claim. They have to have some evidence that, that they do belong there. Now, uh, one point, the Bartanura learns that the word uman in here doesn't really refer to co- contractors who are building a piece of property, and it's a chazaka on a piece of of, uh, of karka, of real assets. He learns the uman here are the usual usage of the term uman, and uman is like a craftsman. And we're talking here is make, talk about here in this Mishnah, at, with the word imanim, is we're talking about affecting a chazaka on metaltalin, on movable objects. So in other words, usually the rule is that Whoever's holding the movable object, you know, he's the guy who's holding the hammer. He is presumed to be the owner of the hammer, because if not, what's your hammer doing in my hand? That's old news. But here we're saying, and the bartender learns, the point of this mission is that if the guy holding the hammer is a carpenter, and he's doing, you know, work, construction work inside, you know, the Marakama's home, whatever, the owner, I shouldn't say Marakama, someone's home, and someone says, give me back my hammer, and the craftsman says, what do you mean, this is my hammer? 
So the fact that he's holding the hammer, even holding it for three years, using it doesn't make a darn difference um, because maybe the original owner gave him the hammer to use. And of course, um, he wouldn't object to him using the hammer because he gave it to him to use. That's what that's what craftsmen do. So that's how the bartender learns the case of Umanen, uh, and you could also some other pshatim of this list as well. It could be also Matalton, but he also would agree. Everyone agrees that but the primary topic here is uh, making a chazaka on land, and the idea is the same thing, that if there wouldn't be good reason for the Marakama to complain, he could say he didn't complain for that good reason, and then therefore the burden of proof would remain on the current machzik to prove that he is rightfully entitled um, to stay on this land in the event that they have an argument. Now the Mishnah transitions to a new section here. Um, the whole notion here was that the machzik's response when he's questioned, where's your star, your deed that proves you purchased this property, is that, well, no one complained, so I lost track of it. It's been a long time. I didn't think I need to keep it. So anytime uh, where there'd be uh, no reason for the Marakama who's complaining, who wants to get his field back, um, to have complained, so that doesn't, that that argument doesn't hold water. So our mission here says, if you have um, these kinds of relatives, these kinds of situations, then there's no expectation that they should have complained, and therefore it's not such a, a valid response. So says the Mishnah, Just because a husband uses his wife's property for numerous years doesn't prove that she agreed to sell it to him, um, even if she didn't complain, because that's what wives do. <coughs> now, uh, when women get married, they bring two types of property into the marriage. Um, some is called Nechseitzon Barzal. Essentially, that's given to her husband in exchange for a fixed amount, so that's his property. So that's not the topic of our Mishnah. The other category is called Nechze um, Malug, plucking property, usufruct property. And the idea here is the property belongs to the woman, um, but the husband is allowed to use it and uh, take, you know, the, the collect the rent and collect the produce, etc., while they're married. Again, so therefore, there'd be no Chiddush in our Mishnah. So the case of our Mishnah is something like the husband and wife got married. The husband said explicitly, maybe in the Ksuba or whatever it is, I agree to not take the, you know, I'm not going to collect you know, the harvest, the produce that grows in your field or collect the rent that grows in your apartment, you can, <clears throat> excuse me, you can just, um, you can just, uh, you can have it for yourself, for your own expenses. So then that was the deal. And later on, the husband ends up using the apartment or collecting the rent or collecting the harvest. So he argues, yeah, because she sold it to me. And if she, that was not true, why didn't she complain all these years? We had a deal. But we had a deal that... <clears throat> He wasn't going to harvest her stuff. So this proves this is an exception to that rule. But the mission is saying, the Gemara explains that even if it's true that that wasn't the deal, and now he's sort of like overstepping bounds and harvesting what should have been hers, still they're married. So it's it's likely that the wife just didn't want to raise a fuss and, and complicate the marriage and ruin shalom bias, so she let it slide. Therefore, it's not a proof that she didn't complain. Similarly, says the Mishnah, the low, <coughs> excuse me. A woman who harvests the property of her husband also doesn't establish a chazaka that way. Again, the thought is the husband has a responsibility to provide for his wife, so of course she's extracting value of his assets and living off of them. That's no question there. The chiddush is, even if he specifically said, you know, you're going to get um, all your living expenses from field A, you can, you know, extract the rent or whatever's from field A, um, but field B leave alone. Even if that was a deal, if later on she's, you know, harvesting field B. So that doesn't prove that that doesn't prove that he sold it to her. Could be he just said, listen, I'm letting it slide or I changed my mind or the story since he has an obligation to support her, so he's supporting her from field B. Therefore her her harvesting for numerous years doesn't prove that he gave it to her. 
Um, and finally, below la'av ben, below la'ben benichseav, if you have a, a father and son, parent and child, whatever it is, and one depends upon the other, one is somach al shulchano, so the father is supporting his son, or the son, for that matter, is supporting his father. So then, like, each one kind of acts as like an apitropus, like a custodian for the other. In other words, my son lives, you know, he lives at home. He's the one who's harvesting the field the past five years. What's a great mystery there? Of course, because it's my field and he's my son doing, doing my thing. So that wouldn't be a proof that, if, let's say, for example, the father died and the other brothers start, you know, complaining they want their field back. The, the son couldn't say, well, I harvest for five years and no one complained. Obviously, it's mine. The wooden wash. Um, <clears throat> that said, if the son wasn't um, he no longer lived at home. He was an independent person. So then uh, it would be a chazak. It's not normal for a person to let, like, his son harvest his stuff to the, you know, to the exception of the other siblings that are the story is, um, unless it really was the son. So that would be a valid claim in such a case. Now, when does all these rules apply regarding how we figure out um, a legitimate, if the three years prove or don't prove, you know, anything, so support a claim or not support a claim? That's b'machzik. That's if you have someone who is being machazik, he's, you know, sitting in a property already, which is a question of how long he's been sitting there, and has there been complaints. But now, so now the Mishnah is going to transition to, like, something which is really could be a new Mishnah. And um, this is a little confusing. The word chazaka, as I said in the introduction to the whole uh, chapter here, um, can mean uh, numerous things. Uh, so up to now, we've been using chazaka to mean presumptive ownership. But now we're transitioning. Now we're transitioning. We're saying there's another usage of the word chazaka. That's called like a mechezkas, um, you know, for for kinyan for acquisition. So that's like the proprietary act which effects transfer of ownership. So when it comes to um, you know movable objects, the way you actually own it, take ownership, is by lifting it up. Um, and uh, when it comes to real estate, so the way you transfer ownership, meaning we agree, we have a meeting of the minds, we agree to, I will sell you my field or my apartments for $100, fine. But now, when does it become yours? Only once you do your maizakin, your act which effects the transfer. So that could be with kesef, you pay over the money, or bishtar, I give you the contract, or bechazaka, the same word. Here, chazaka means like a proprietary act that shows that this is mine. So that's also chazaka. Um, and the chazaka there basically boils down to doing an act which indicates it's mine, like by improving on the property, you know, putting a fence around it. You can put a fence around your property that's, if it's someone else's property, and so on. So, says the Mishnah, that's all the machazik, if we're talking about the three-year, up to now it's been the three-year discussion. But, matana, if you're talking about transfer ownership by means of giving a gift, or if two brothers are splitting a property, meaning they inherited a big field, they divide into two half fields. Or, Someone who has seized control or ownership of the property of a convert. The case here is, we're talking about a, when it comes to converts, so they're considered to be like um, newly born people, so to speak, legally speaking, meaning a convert who has children prior to his conversion, they're not his legal heirs, according to the Torah. Only people, only children who were born after he converted. Those would be his legal heirs. So if a person is a convert and he has no family, he hasn't had no children after he converted so there is no legal heirs, therefore when he dies, whatever's left in his uh, state becomes just hefker ownerless, whoever first come first served, and whoever gets it, if it's a field, and does a masa does the act of the proprietor act, by showing, by, by chazaka, by showing it's his, he's the one who will be the owner. So in those are case, all those cases, you can do an act to show you're an owner, and what, the, what are the examples, says the Mishnah? Na'al v'gadar u'faratz. 
Um, you do some act to improve the property, like for example, you um, put up a, a, a locking door that's naal, or for gader you put a fence around it. Ufarats, um, there's like some, and you make a an access point that makes it easier to access the building. Like I don't know what the the gate was skinny, and you made it a wider gate, or the bars were too close together, and you made them more spread apart. So there's some, you know, qualitative difference to your ability to function and use the property. Kol shahu, in any amount, and as long as it's, doesn't matter how little the improvement is, as long as it actually makes a qualitative change to the accessibility or the protection or whatever of the property, then harezu chazaka, that is an effective act, proprietary act, that successfully affects the transfer of ownership. So the point, the Mishnah, and if you want to string the two parts of the Mishnah together, the point is, the previous, previous section we said there's no chazak when it comes to like a husband to a wife or a father to a child. But obviously if the father sells him to his child and says, child, here, put a fence around, you know, the property I'm giving to you as a gift or something, then that would be effective, of course. Now, uh, one small point. This word na'al, to lock, literally means just to lock, like to lock the door. So the way the Bartanura learns, he really follows in the footsteps of the Rashbam. You know, Rashi has left us, now the Rashbam is in the Gemara for the rest of the... Masechta. Um so so he learns that simply locking the door, like with a key, isn't considered a proprietary act in any way. It's just actually a mice mitzvah. It's an action that's a mitzvah because if you see someone's door unlocked, like it's like leave seeming someone's leaving his uh the cars and the lights the keys in his car or the lights on in his car, you know, you're basically you're saving him from loss by turning off the car or turning off the lights and so on. Same goes leaving the door open to lock the door is actually a requirement. It doesn't show it's yours, you're just doing a service to somebody else. So it would have to be Nal here means have to be like you put in a new door which locks the locks the property or something like that. Um, others however disagree. Uh, Tosos, for example, learns that if you, in fact if you lock the door, that shows that you now the new boss here and you've therefore locked it up. So that would be a success, an effective masakin that would do chazaka.